Part eight of Full Speed Ahead by Henry B. Beston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part eight. Thirty one. Grain. This is Idaho's story. He told it to me when I met him coming home early this summer. We were crossing in a worthy old transatlantic, which has since gone to the bottom, and Idaho, at his ease in the deserted smoking room, unfolded the adventure. Idaho, USN, we called him that aboard, is a very real personage. I think he told me that he was eighteen years old, medium height, solidly built, wholesome looking. The leading characteristic of the young, open countenance is intelligence, an intelligence that has grown of itself behind those clear gray eyes, not a power that has grown from premature contact with the world. Until he joined the Navy, I imagine that Idaho knew little of the world beyond his own magnificent West. I consider him very well educated. He declares that preferring life on his father's ranch to knowledge, he cut high school after the second year. He is a great reader and likes good, stirring poetry. He is an idealist and stands by his ideals with a fervor which only youth possesses and i ought to add that idaho in the words of one of his friends is one first-class signalman this is idaho's story pieced together from his own recital and from a handful of his letters the crowd aboard the naval tug was so festive that morning and there was such a lot of scuffling punching imitation boxing and jollying generally that idaho did not see the vessel to which he had been assigned till the tug was close alongside then hearing his name called out the lad caught up his baggage and walked on into the open side of a vast disreputable tramp the lad later learned that she had been brought from somewhere in the china sea the sebastopol heaven knows where she originally got the name was a ship that had served her term in the west had grown old and out of date and then been purchased by some oriental firm out there she had carried on always seaworthy in an old-fashioned way always excessively dirty always a day overdue when the submarine had made ships worth their weight in silver, the Sebastopol must have been almost on the point of giving up the ghost. Presently, the war brought the old ship back to England again. Her return to an English harbor must have resembled the return of a disreputable relative to an anxious family. And in England, in some tremendously busy shipyard, they had patched her up, added a modern electrical equipment and even gone to the length of new boilers but her engines they had merely tuned up and as for her ancient hull that they had dedicated to the mercy of the gods of the sea once aboard and assigned to his station and watches the lad had leisure to look over his companions the sebastopol carried a crew from liverpool and was officered by three englishmen and a little welsh third mate the captain a first mate of many years experience to whom the war had given the chance of a ship was in the forties tall and with a thin stern mouth under a heavy brown moustache the first mate was a mere youngster the second a middle-aged volunteer the third an undersized excitable celt with gray eyes and coal-black hair touched with snow-white above the ears the welshman took a liking for idaho 
used to question him in regard to the west being especially keen to know about opportunities there after the war he had a brother in wales whom he thought might share in a farming adventure of the captain the lad saw very little and the first mate was somewhat on his dignity practically every man of the crew had been torpedoed at least once many had been injured and had scars to exhibit all had picturesque tales to tell the gruesomest ones being the favourites the best narrator was a fireman from london a man of thirty with a lean chest and grotesquely strong arms he would sit on the edge of a bunk or a chair and tell of sudden thundering crashes of the roaring of steam of bodies lying on the deck over which one tripped as one ran of water pouring into engine rooms and of boilers suddenly vomiting masses of white-hot coal upon dazed and scalded stokers it was the melodrama of below the waterline then for days the narrator would keep silent troubled by a pain in one of his fragmentary teeth all the men kept their few belongings tied in a bundle ready to seize the instant trouble was at hand the cook complained to idaho that he had lost a gold watch when the lady esther was torpedoed off the coast of france and advised him paternally to keep his things handy one of the oilers a good-natured fellow of twenty-eight or nine had been a soldier having been invalided out of the service because of wounds received late in the summer on the somme an interesting lot of men for an american boy to be tossed with particularly for a lad as intelligent and observing as our idaho the boy was pleased with his job and worked well he did not have very much to do signalling aboard a convoyed ship though a frequent business is not an incessant one he knew that his work would come at the entrance to the zone sometimes he picked up messages intended for others mount ida you are out of line volcanion keep strictly to the prescribed zigzag plan now he would see the sicilian asking for advice now there would be a kind of telegraphic tiff between two of the vessels of the keep further away hang you order twenty ships running without lights through the ambush of the sea twenty ships twenty pledges of life satisfied hunger victory in other days one's world at sea was one ship a convoy is a kind of solar system of solitary worlds hour after hour the assembled ships straggled across the great loneliness of the sea the crew had a grievance it was not against their officers but against his majesty's government against a bloody lot of top hats a recent regulation had forbidden sailors to import food into the united kingdom and all the dreams of stocking up the missus larder with american abundance had come to naught idaho says that there was an engineer who was particularly fierce don't we risk our lives our arsk ya he would say bringin stuff to fill their ruddy guts and now they won't even let us bring a bit of sugar for ourselves the rest of the crew would take up the angry refrain a mention of the food regulations was enough to set the entire crew grousing for hours and then came trouble real trouble on the fifth day out idaho called for his early watch found the boat wallowing in a heavy sea 
the wind was not particularly heavy but it blew steadily from one point of the compass and the seas were running dark wind-flecked and high the sebastopol accustomed to the calm of eastern seas was pitching and rolling heavily presently the cargo began to shift now to have the cargo shift is about the most dangerous thing that can happen to a vessel one never can tell just when the center of gravity of the mass will be displaced and when that contingency occurs the big iron ship will roll over as casually and as easily as a dog before the fire it takes courage plenty of courage to keep such a ship running especially if you are down by the boilers or in the engine-room you have to be prepared to find yourself lying in a corner somewhere looking up at a ceiling which strange to say has a door in it the sebastopol leaned away from the wind like a stricken man crouching before a pitiless enemy the angle of her smokestack more than anything else betraying the alarming list in her stricken condition the ship seemed to become more than ever personal and human presently her old plates bulged somewhere and she began to leak the vessel carried a cargo of grain in these days more than ever a cargo epical and symbolic a holdful of rich grain grain engendered out of fields vast as the sea bred by the fruitful fire of the sun rippled by the passing of winds from the mysterious hills grain symbolic of satisfied hunger victory a cargo of grain life to those on land to those on board danger and the possibility of a violent if romantic death the crew too occupied with the emergency to curse the stevedores ran hither and thither on swift obscure errands and the weather grew steadily worse the leak increasing with the advance of the storm down below meanwhile a force of men hardly able to keep their balance buffeted here and there by the motion of the ship and working in an atmosphere of choking dust transferred a number of bags from one side to another unhappily the real mischief was due to grain in bins and with this store little could be done and always the water in the hold increased in depth the pumps orders had been given to start them directly the leak was noticed three minutes later the machinery and the pipes fouled with grain refused to work they saw bubbles steam a trickle of water that presently stopped and lumps of wet grain that some one might have chewed together and spat forth again idaho did a lot of signaling and code to the guide-ship of the convoy the sebastopol began to drop behind an order being given to sleep up on the boat deck so as to be ready to leave at any instant the men dragged their bedding to whatever shelter they could find the captain appeared never to take any time off for sleep day after day through heavy seas under a sky torn and dirty as a rag the old sebastopol listed badly and sodden as cold porridge carried her precious cargo to the waiting and hungry east giving up all hope of keeping up with her sisters she fell behind now straggling ten now fifteen miles astern at length the weather changed the sea became smooth blue and sparkling the sky radiant and clear 
then the destroyers came there was a parley and the other vessels of the convoy zigzagged wildly for a while in order to allow the sebastopol to catch up but in spite of all attempts the old ship fell behind again and was suffered to do so lest the others compelled to adopt her slow speed be seriously handicapped in their race down the gauntlet then it was discovered that the leak had gained alarmingly there was even talk of abandoning the vessel and taking to the boats a try was made to pump out the boat with an ancient hand engine the contrivance clogged almost at once according to idaho it was much like trying to pump out a thick bran mush such as they gave sick calves and they were only two days from land barely afloat just crawling and with the submarine zone ahead of them but the gods were kind and the old boat and the solitary destroyer went down the channel and across the irish sea as safely as clockwork toys across a garden pool yet they passed quite a tidy lot of wreckage nearer nearer all the time till late one afternoon two big tugs raced to meet them at the mouth of a giant estuary the sebastopol was at the end of her tether another day and it would have been a case of taking to the boats the tugs hurried her into a waiting dry dock idaho his papers signed his bag upon his shoulder got into a little tender which was to take him over to the harbor landing looking up he saw some of the crew leaning over the rail they grinned with friendly soot-streaked faces waved their arms the sebastopol was safe the rich cargo of grain the life-giving yellow grain was safe the tug slid off into the busy noisy riverway and thus came idaho of the armed guard to the beleaguered isles thirty two collision regret to report collision in latitude x and longitude y between tank steamships tampico and peruvian extract from an admiralty paper when supper was over the two sailors of the armed guard attached to the ship went out on deck for a breath of evening air it was just after sundown a clean calm rested upon the monstrous plain of the sea one golden star shone tranquil and lonely in the west the convoy was almost at the border of the zone to the left the lads could see the twin funnels of the big grain ship the tattered befouled horse-boat the little rolling tramp said to be full of tea and tea and the long low bulks and squat houses of the two tanks whoever's on that tramp is some bird at signals said the bigger of the boys my friend pop generally starts to answer my signal before i'm through nose aboard her robbie i think it's that big new guy from the pennsylvania answered robbie meditatively dalton's on the horseboat isn't he sure either he or richie pete johnson's on the first tank and that fresh little rogers guy on the other there was a pause pop spat with unction over the side suddenly their vessel entered a fog bank passing through a detached island or two of it before plunging on into the central mass the convoy instantly faded from sight every now and then out of the wall of gray ahead a little swirl of fog detached itself and floating down the darkening deck melted into the opaque obscurity behind 
drops of moisture began to gather on the lower surface of the brass rails of the companionways wires grew slippery to the touch little worm-like trails of overladen drops slid mechanically down sloping surfaces the fog thickening flowed alongside like a vaporous current overhead however the sky was fairly clear though the greater stars shone aureoled and pale there was very little sound merely the steady hissing of the calm water alongside occasional voices heard in a tone of consultation the heavy slam of a door an hour passed the fog showed no sign of lifting seeming rather to become of denser substance with the dark pop was glad that there was no ship following directly behind and wondered if the others were dragging fog buoys the ship's bell rang muffled and mourn in the fog suddenly out of the clinging darkness out of the oppressive obscurity there came momentary brazen and incredibly distant a dull and muffled sound so far away and mysterious was its source that the sound might have been imagined as coming from the dark beyond the stars an instant later as if the only purpose of its mysterious existence had been to sink a tanker the fog melted into the night and a little wind a little timid trembling breath brushed the great plume of smoke from the funnel lightly aside a bright starlit night came into being as if by enchantment as if created out of the fog by the intervention of divine will the motionless black shapes of the colliding tankers could be seen far far astern after the crash they had drifted apart the wireless was crackling blinker lights flashing their dots and dashes of violet white a whistle blew am standing by came a message the chief of the convoy sent out a peremptory command presently a light appeared on one of the vessels a little rosy glow like a chinese lantern the glow sank disappeared and rose again having gathered strength one of the tankers was on fire soon a second glow appeared close by its stern a glow of warm rosy orange in a few minutes they could see tongues of fire and two boats rowing away from the vessel they did not know that the men in the boats were rowing for their lives through a pool of oil which might take fire at any instant a few minutes passed the light grew brighter suddenly there was a kind of flaming burst a great victory of fire the tanker well down by the head floated flaming in an ocean that was itself a flame floated black silent and doomed to find an ironic grave in the waters under the fire great masses of smoke rose from the burning pool into the serene sky and hid the vessel when she sank half an hour later a little rosy light lay at the horizon's rim suddenly like a lamp blown out it died end of part eight